Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. Go ahead and grab your Bible. Turn to the book of Luke this morning. We'll be going into Luke chapter number 11. If you remember, we do exegesis style here at the river, and today will be no different. Exegesis style means you go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And this morning we'll be looking at something that's familiar to many of us, even those who don't attend church quite regularly or those who who have any kind of background with the Bible or religion. We see that the Lord's Prayer is the next part we'll be seeing here in Luke chapter number 11. Uh, This morning I'm asking you to grab your Bible, not my daily bread or not the New York Times bestseller book or not even your favorite crossword puzzle this morning because we choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. It's divine, not human in origin. We here at the river believe in the five solas. The solas is another Latin phrase and the first one being a sola scriptura which means the Bible and the Bible alone. The second being sola fide is a Latin phrase that means faith and faith alone. We also believe in sola Christus. That's a Latin phrase. That means Jesus and Jesus alone. We also believe in sola gracia. And it means faith and faith alone. We're saved simply by faith and faith alone. And the crowning jewel of all of theology is sole deo gloria. A Latin phrase. That means God alone receives the glory. He'll receive the glory from the preaching and teaching today. He'll receive the glory if you're paying attention and adhering to God's holy word. So this morning, let God receive all the glory as we open up the Word of God speaking to the people of God in Luke chapter number 11. And we see chapter number 11, Jesus. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. First of all, we need to dissect what we see already in chapter number 11, verse number 1. Jesus prayed. Church, if Jesus, being the Son of God, a down-to-earth deity is what we believe, we believe that He's fully God and fully man. And if Jesus prayed, Christian, you should pray. I can use the, a thermometer of prayer and see how your spiritual walk is. I ask you, congregation, it's convicting even to me, how's your prayer life? I want to let you notice you fall in private long before you fall in public. How is your prayer life? What are you praying about? Maybe you're here today and you have an outward appearance of holiness and righteousness. You're a church attender. You might even be a member. You might support the ministry, but you have no prayer life. You have no infrastructure. Nothing that holds anything together. You have no outer, you have no inner relationship with the Lord of hosts, God Almighty. Jesus, the Son of God, pray. Do you pray? And what do you pray about? We see that Jesus was praying. Maybe you say, well, I don't want to bother God. I can handle this. He gave me, he gave me tenacity and zeal. He gave me my own talents. He gave me the only giftings that I can get myself out of this mess. I, I want to let you know this morning that well, when you fail, because you will, you'll be flat on your back and you'll have only one option, and that's crying out to the Lord. So why don't we head all that off and start trusting in God today and begin to pray again. Pray to the Lord. You remember a time when you asked Him for anything and everything. Praying to Him. Ask Him again. Lord, I need peace just for today. I need understanding for the day. Lord, I need You to steady me today. Too far, too often we get mature in the faith and believe we're too big for our britches. 
We believe that we can handle it ourselves. We can carry the burdens on our own. We can do it because we're grown. We're mature now. We're grown Christians in society and in our world today. If you come across the child, you say, oh, that child is beautiful. Oh, they're wonderful and they're young. But you come across them later and they have not developed. You say, well, something's wrong with that child. I just saw them two, three years ago, and they're still in the same reading level. They're still in the same physical form that they were in uh, two, three years ago. You say, something's wrong. But it's not that way with the Christian. The Christian does not get grown and mature and stand on their own. In fact, if you're honest, that we start to root out self-reliance. God starts to root out being big and strong and standing on our own. We grow weaker and we lean on Him all the more by praying and trusting in God. I ask you, congregation, in this new year, we're almost done with the first month, have you started to pray more? Asking God to help you, hold you, and keep you. Or have you graduated beyond that? We see that Jesus prayed. Do you pray? Are you stronger than Jesus? This is convicting. It should be. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Well, this lets me know that the disciples heard Jesus pray. Can you imagine the prayers of Jesus? What they must have sounded like? Well, it just so happens that it's recorded right here. It tells us what Jesus' prayers sound like. And we should model ourselves. I know if we were to stand right now and quote the Lord's Prayer, many of us can recite it from memory. But this is not just a pattern that we just remember and recite back to the Lord. It's something that we have as a template. And we can understand how to pray because they ask, Lord, teach us to pray. John taught his disciples and he said to them in verse 2, When you pray, say, Father. Already he begins with the intimate word, Abba. Father, the one who begat me. The one who provides for me. My two boys don't worry about the mortgage. They don't worry about gas in the car. They don't worry about if there's food in the cabinets because that's not their position. They have schoolwork and they have chores they have to handle. They have Pokemon cards to play with. They got toys and Legos that they're supposed to be playing with. They're not to worry about grown-up things. That's their father's position. It's true of you, Christian. If you have a spiritual heavenly father, why do you worry about the world? Why do you feel like the world is on your shoulders? That's not for you to worry about. Why do you have anxiety about tomorrow? For God is the one who brings tomorrow in. That's not for you to worry about. Much like an infant laying in the crib worrying about if the mortgage and the light bill is to be paid. That infant is to lay there and coo and gaga and play with his mobile not worrying about those things because that's above their pay grade. Here, Father, is how we are to begin to pray. Father, the one who provides for me, the one who protects me, the one who supplies for me, the one who steadies me, the one who defends me. Father! Maybe, maybe, maybe people have problems praying that way because you have a strained relationship with your earthly father. So you, you compare the heavenly father to your earthly father. Let's go ahead and throw that out the window. Amen. For men at best are still men. They will fail. And they do. And some of us still bear the scars of faulty, broken bags of dust and bones. Men. But the heavenly Father will not go to the store to get a pack of cigarettes and not be seen for 15 years. Our heavenly Father will show up and show out. He is faithful. We can trust in Him. And He provides. Why else would Jesus say, Father, 
He is the only begotten Son. We are not begotten. We're grafted in. We're adopted because of Jesus. And Jesus tells us to call Him Father. You used to call Him God. Judge. Executioner and jury is what we used to call Him. But now we are family because of Jesus. Jesus tells you, Christian, to call Him Father. He says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means high and lifted up. Exalted. No other name carries the strength and the weight of the Father. In our society, in our culture, we're so blasphemous. We take the name of the Lord and we drag it through the mud when we say, oh my God, or Jesus Christ, like a filthy cuss word. When we take His name and say, oh gosh, we blaspheme the name of the Lord. When we're crediting wicked things to the name of God. Hallowed be your name. In fact, when the Hebrews would write the Torah and the Old Testament, whenever that scribe would sit down and write the name of God, before he got to the very point where his quill touched the, the scroll where he was to write, he would put the pen down, go wash and bathe himself, and write the name of God, come back, throw that quill away, and wash again, and continue on in the sentence. Because they reverence the name of God. But we, we seem not to do that. We text OMG in our text like it's no big deal. We listen to blasphemy on the television and on the radio and we laugh and we gleam over like it's no big deal. Christian, it should bother you. For they blaspheme the holy name of God that's exalted above every other name. And they drag it through the mud like it's nothing. Hallowed be your name. Because your name means something. He's Jehovah Jireh, a God who provides. Jehovah Nisi, God my banner who looks over me. Jehovah Shalom, the God who is my peace. Jehovah Rio, the God who heals me. His name means something. Have you ever met someone whose name is synonymous with a something or an event? Well, our God's name is a strong tower. A refuge in a place in a time of trouble. A place where we can run and go into the fortress and hear the clink of the doors behind us knowing that the strong walls will protect us and He will defend us and keep us. Hallowed be Your name, O Lord. A name above every name. Amen. Jesus is good to us by allowing us to call Him Father. He's the only one who could call Him Father. But now He beckons the people of God. Call Him Father. Because His name is strong. Maybe you come from a, a long line of, of a family that is known for notorious wicked things. But thanks be to God in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that we're new creatures with new features. Now we bear a new name. We bear His name. He says, Your kingdom come. Church, His kingdom is coming, is here. I want to let you know that you are the kingdom. Amen. For He has purchased you. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And you are His subject. And you are to come. Come to all the, uh, the quarters of the earth and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Amen, preacher. He tells us in verse 3, Give us each day our daily bread. He doesn't say that we could stock up 
and have extra like those who gathered manna in the Old Testament. They always had enough. They always had enough when they gathered the manna. And those who tried to hoard it and hide it, it was a stench in their tent with maggots and rot. But Jesus says here, God, give me enough. Give me all I need. If I had too much, Lord, I would stop depending on You. We do well when we take up tithe and offering here. It's an opportunity, church, not for us to just to keep the lights on and make sure the heat is going. To make sure that you don't have the possessions you possess possessing you. Believing that that $20 bill is going to hold you over and protect you and be a shield against the enemy. That your 401k is going to protect you. That your social security check is going to keep you safe. Believing that your pension is where you'll find a place of refuge. Many times God is beckoning to the believer, give. So you'll know who's the giver. Amen. Amen. I'm preaching pretty good here for just a regular Sunday. This should be a revival. Oh, it is. How about that? Give us each day our daily bread. For Lord, You're the one who supplies. You're the one who gives me exactly what I need. Maybe this morning you're lacking. Maybe you need something. Well, we'll get to that. If you're lacking this morning and you need something... Have you asked them about it? I didn't say you asked the deacons about it. You can. You can can ask the preacher. You can ask your friends. But he's asked the Lord about it. He says in verse 4, And forgive us our sins. For truly when we sin, yes, we sin against our neighbors. We sin against our own family. We sin against our neighbors and our family and even our enemies. But ultimately we sin against God. Cosmic treason is what we call it. That we are rebels against the God who reigns over everything. When He and His sovereignty and His majesty, the King of all of creation says, don't do this and we do that, we're rebelling against Him. And we ask Him to forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of the ones that uh, of commission, the ones we did and the ones we shouldn't have done. About we uh, we should have done that, but we did, and still a sin before God. And forgive us of our sins. Most people swallow that quite easy, but it's the next parts of the verse that people don't really like. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Oh, preacher, why didn't you skip that? This is the part, preacher, where you're going to tell me to forgive somebody. I'm so tired of you telling me to forgive somebody. I'm holding it against you. i got a grudge against you, preacher. Good. Good. Because you shouldn't be neutral. You shouldn't be neutral about your sins, and you should not be neutral about the man of God. Either you hate the man of God because he tells you the truth, or you love the man of God because he corrects. Amen, somebody. That's all right. You don't have to amen. I did it myself. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Christian, you've heard me say it and thunder it from the pulpit over and over. Forgive those who have harmed you as much as God has forgiven you. Mm. And I don't roll off the tongue too easy. I have to really focus when I say it because I speak and preach to myself as well. Forgive others as I've been forgiven. Christian, have you been forgiven of unsurmountable sins? Overwhelming. More than seven times 70. More than 490 times. More than that. More than you can count. If you've been forgiven that much, you should forgive that much. Let me say it again for the people in the back and the people in the front. 
if you've been forgiven, you forgive. Because if you don't, if you hold grudges and wounds, you're going to bleed over everybody around you. And bleed on people who had nothing to do with the offense. The grudges you'll hold. The wounds. And you're bleeding and you can't see it, but everybody else can. The gangrene that goes into your soul down to the very roots of who you are. Affecting you in every area. Grudges, anger, bitterness. Ulcers that form in your gut. Sicknesses that to overtake your body. Because you will not forgive. You will not. Oh, I know God forgives sins, but I can't. I can't forgive that trespass. So what you're saying is you're bigger and you're better and you're stronger, more sovereign and autonomous than God Himself when He commands His people to forgive. Have you forgiven them? I don't know, preacher, if I have or not. If it takes... Take, if you have to take it minute by minute... I forgive them in this moment. So be it. Begin the healing process. I forgive them for the next hour. Begin the healing process. For God has forgiven you. Now don't get me wrong. If things aren't right between you and God, by no means you should forgive anybody. Hold the grudge. Because you're going to also hold the wrath of God. So let's get down to the brass tacks of it all. Are you right with God? Has God forgiven you of your wretched sins? He has wiped your ledger clean. No more guilt for you. You are redeemed. And you know what? He don't bring it up again. Oh, you remember what you did last year? You remember what you did six months ago? Here we go again. He don't keep count. He forgives. Do you forgive that way? This is where we draw the line in the sand. This is how we see who's His. Do you forgive like Christ forgives? No, preacher, I don't. I want to. The want to comes from Him. Let's go ahead and establish that. If you want to today, let's begin. How do you begin to forgive? Start praying for Him. You can't pray for anybody you hate. That's from Miss Barbara. She told me to say that. You can't pray for anybody you hate. Maybe you don't hate them. Maybe you dislike them a lot. Pray for them. Because that's what Jesus did. Don't you remember, Christian? As He hung on the cross, His enemies were gambling for His clothes, throwing dice to win His robe. And as He hung there in unsurmountable pain, what does He do? He prays for them. Christian, pray for them when they walked out on you. Pray for them that they wounded you to the soul. Pray for them. When they drug your name through the mud and they hold your past against you, pray for them. When they have broken you and there's no way you'll be able to put yourself back together or bounce back from that, pray for them. When they want you dead, and a shallow grave, and even the people around you, the people that love you, they want them dead too. Pray for them. Because that's what Jesus, that's what Jesus did and does. And forgive our sins as we forgive anyone and everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Uh, if you know your Bible, and I know our church does, 
In the book of James, it says that He does not tempt anyone. He does allow trials and tribulations to test us. But Jesus does not lead us to trials to take us down. So the text here is, lead us not into temptation. If you're following Jesus, He ain't going to tempt you. Oh, He will test you. There will be valleys. So what this means is that we can trust Jesus. Jesus, where are you going? What are you doing? How are you praying and how are you living? That I put my complete trust in you. I know people who won't pray, Thy will be done, Lord. Because you don't trust God enough to pray that. It might be inconvenienced. He might even lead you into some dry, dead places. He might even allow you to be laying in a pit. He might even allow your enemies to conquer you and you lay dead. And you're not willing to follow Jesus into the lion's den or follow Jesus into the fiery furnace. So you don't pray that will be done. You give Him marching orders and you command Jesus, keep me safe, hold on to me, protect me. But you don't pray that will be done. I just want to remind you that Romans 8.28 that all things work towards good. That all things ain't necessarily good all the time. There will be famine, nakedness, and sword, brokenness, divorces, trust issues. There will be those things. And they're not necessarily good. But it will work out for our good and His glory for those who trust God and are called according to His purpose. So you're able to pray because you have full trust in Him. Lord, Your will be done. Lord, I know what I would like to happen. Even Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will be done. Jesus being the second member of the triune God, praying not what I want, but Your will. Many times we overstep Jesus and say, this is what I want and I won't have any other way. For God, You're my cosmic bellhop. You're someone who is to carry my bags and do my bidding. You're to be a genie in a bottle and I rub it and You give me three wishes and do whatever I want. But Lord, not my will, but Your will be done. I trust You completely and absolutely, Jesus. Use me however You want. If You see fit to destroy me, so be it, Lord. I trust You. For You are sovereign. You are greater than me. My prosperity might be to my ruin. So Father, if You want to bring me through the valley, I'll go through the valley because I know You're with me, Psalms 23. Amen, somebody. We we see here. Verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And you will answer him, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. To help you understand this text completely, I want to let you know about Jewish tradition, their culture. For they didn't have separate bedrooms like we might have in our homes now. This is my kid's room. That's the other kid's room. This is where me and my wife sleep. They all slept in the main living area on the ground, on on, uh, uh, little cots or patios. They would lay together to bring the community there and the family unit closer together. So when he would say, I'm laying down with my children, that means everybody's in bed and there's a knock on the door. Hey, 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 Brother Will, let me in. I I need a cup of sugar. Come on. And well, he will reply, Don't bother me. The door's shut. Don't you see? I got to step over children. I got to wake up the whole house. What are you doing? Besides the yelling through the door, let's be honest here, he's already woke up everybody. 
I cannot get up and give you anything. In verse 8, I tell you that He will not get up and give Him anything because He is His friend. Yet because of His impudence, He will rise up and give Him whatever He needs. What does that mean, preacher? In verse number 8, it means He's annoying. That means the beating on the door. The begging. The beating on the door. Hey, hey, I need help. Help me out. Give me what I need. It's not really the relationship here. It's the annoyance. Go away! Verse 9, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Here Jesus uses our earthly minds to help us understand verse 8 that many times we just give people stuff to leave us alone. They're being annoying. Whether they need money, they need time, they need something from us. We just say, here, take it. Just get away from me because they're annoyance. We comply just to get them away from us. But it's not like that. If you remember, we are to call Him Father. Church, I want to let you know when Jesus tells us to call Him Father, He's invoking that there's love between Him and us. We're not an annoyance to God. For the Christian who's here today struggling with the fact that God simply tolerates you and puts up with you. I want to let you know this. That God is more willing to provide for you than you're even willing to ask. For He loves His people. We call Him Father. On the earthly level, we want people to leave us alone because of annoyance. In verse 9, I tell you, ask and it will be given. Verse 9, I want to ask you, congregation, have you stopped asking? Why did you quit asking? Did you feel like you have to fend for yourself? Did God say, maybe wait a little while? Maybe He didn't answer right away. Maybe He had you hanging on every word, waiting for an answer, and He fell silent for a little while. Maybe you grew strong in your self-reliance. Maybe your faith has grown weak and you just stopped asking. What is it that you stopped asking for? Did you stop asking for healing? Did you stop asking for hope? Did you stop asking for direction? Did you stop asking for deliverance? Did you stop asking for Him to hold on to you? Jesus tells us here in the text today, ask and it will be given. Well, well wait a minute. You mean I can get that BMW? Ha <laughs> ha! Okay. I can get that that 14 buck point buck. I can get I can get that big mansion in the sky or around the way with the gated community. I can get this thing. All I gotta do is ask. If you're thinking that way, you missed the whole sermon before that. What's best for you is asking God to give you wisdom and understanding. Mostly what's best for you is to ask God to give you more of Him. For those who are wondering, you don't have to give up cigarettes. You don't have to give up sleeping around, drinking. You don't have to give those things up. Because God's going to take them from you. He'll have more of you. You hear me? I hope you really hear me. He'll have more of you. That's so good to me. Here I am, Lord, take all of me. Take my weak spots and my strong spots. Take it all. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. I know that 
there are those who will see that knock and find uh, the knock and open to you. They'll, re- they'll remember back in the book of Revelation where Jesus is standing outside the door of Laodicea in chapter number 3 or 4 and He's knocking on the door of the church and He wants to come into the church because they're a lukewarm church. And more, uh, many evangelists will say, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. I want to let you know, Christian, that Jesus don't knock on the door of any Christian's heart. He already owns the house. He don't have to knock on the door. You you see what I'm saying? He's asking to go into the door of Laodicea because they're a lukewarm church. There's a lot of churches that don't let Jesus in because if Jesus came in, He'll be flipping tables and beating people with whips. He'll be correcting, teaching, and training. But here, Jesus says, knock and it will be open to you. That means Jesus is in the house. That means He opens the doors. Christian, if you're His, keep knocking. If you've got to aggravate Him, aggravate Him. He ain't going to be aggravated, but if that's, if that's your understanding level, do that. In my house, you've heard me say it before, the analogy of my kids, can I play video games? Can I play video games? Can I play video games? Let me ask you this. Can I play video games? Hey, have I asked you lately, can I play video games? Can I play video games? And finally, me and my wife will snap and say, Ask me again! (laughs) Ask me again! And it's considered a threat. And they don't usually ask again. (laughs) However, we see the text here. Jesus is saying to His people, Ask me again. Knock on the door. Ask and it will be given to you. Maybe you're sitting here, What do I ask for? I don't even know what to ask for. The whole Christian needs a whole God. The whole Christian needs all the peace, all the joy, all the mercy, and all the forgiveness. You need it all. Ask for it all. Jesus, give me, fulfill, fill me, fulfill me with it all. Give it all to me. Lord, don't, don't levy it. Don't put a governor on it. Fill me completely. Offer yourself up completely to Him. Don't ask for a portion of the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit have all of you. Imagine buying your home, your first home, if you ever bought a home or rented a home. The realtor drops the keys in your hands and they say, there's a room in the back, even though you've purchased the house and your name is on the deed and it's paid out full, you can't go in that room because you don't own that room. Ha <laughs> ha, tell you what! The realtor want to be out of the driveway before I'll be having a crowbar knocking that door down to see what's in that room and see why it ain't mine. It's in the middle of my house. It's true of you, Christian. What are you not giving to him? What are you not asking of him? Does he have all of you? And are you asking for all of him? If anyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks and finds, and to the one. Who knocks, it will be opened. Ask Him again. Knock on the door. God, open the door. Make a way here. I ask you again. Congregation, I ask, I'm asking you, have you stopped asking? Or today, are you stirred in your heart and your spirit to ask for peace again? Ask Him to save your family again. Put a zeal and a passion in your heart. Put a desire to read His Word again. Returning to the first love. The one who knew you before you were born. Ask Him again. The one who can settle all issues. 
The one who can heal all wounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They say time heals all wounds. Not really. Because if you don't deal with an issue or a wound, it will fester. Only Jesus heals all wounds. Have you asked Him again? Will you begin asking Him today? Will you knock on the door of heaven? God, it's me again. Standing in the need of prayer. Here I am, Jesus. Lead me. Teach me. Hold me. Guide me. Help me. Will you ask Him again?